0: Cool. Awesome. Hello. Test. Awesome. Thanks, um, Brett, put that together for the Bible reading today, which was awesome. Um, and yeah, that's just the next passage in Matthew's Gospel, which we'll have a look at now. We're tracking through Matthew's Gospel and just doing a few chapters each year. Um, this year, we have gone through chapters um, 11, 12, and 13. So, we're getting through chapter 12. And um, yeah, if you weren't here last week, we were kind of looking at last week Jesus, uh, the people have been a bit confused about who he is. This series is called The Man, because it's all about figuring out who this man is and how people are responding. But last week, particularly, Jesus is starting to face intense opposition. Um, and it's interesting, yeah, as, even as we were hearing before from yeah, Simon and Alison about believers around the world facing opposition. Um, Jesus began, as we see in the gospel, to face opposition, which we know as we head into Easter ultimately ends up with people planning, him being betrayed, and ultimately being crucified and killed. But we know that's not the end. Um, But interesting, what we're going to look at today, again, and we're trying to place ourselves in this story, trying to read Matthew's gospel as if you're reading it for the first time again, try to engage with what's going on. And it's interesting because, again, Jesus is doing things that we wouldn't expect, uh, that people may not expect. Uh, We see this in these next verses from verse 15. So the verse just before this says that the the, um, Pharisees were going away to decide and plot to kill Jesus. There should just be one um, before that, verse 15, um, hopefully. I'll just read it out here. Uh, It says, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And again, I kind of read that, and it's pretty simple, but in some ways, it's not what you'd expect. Like Jesus is the Messiah. He's the coming king. And people are plotting to kill him. And if he was strong and powerful, surely he should be confronting that. It's not good that they're trying to kill him. And if he's going to be a Messiah, surely he needs to deal with that threat at some point. But Jesus is withdrawing. He hears of this plot, and he moves away. And people follow him and he's compassionate and kind to them, but he tells them not to tell other people about him. He doesn't do what maybe a normal kind of revolutionary would do, which is probably accuse those who are accusing him and use the crowds as a way to spread influence and overthrow. Like, that's what a revolutionary would probably do. But Jesus is not doing what a normal, perhaps what we would think of as a messiah or revolutionary king would do, and it's a bit confusing. It's kind of like... um, yeah, a lot of people haven't really been flying at the moment because we haven't had much air travel, though I think a lot of people are going to be flying to Tasmania now, uh, so nice and cheap, might be pretty full. Um, but whenever I've flown, and it probably happens most of the time, it's it's, it's a profound thing, because when you hop on a plane, as soon as you take off, very quickly you gain a whole lot of perspective on where you live. You, you look down... And sometimes you can see your house or you can see the airport, you can just see things. And then, especially if you travel far and travel internationally, you just start to realise that the place that you live is really small and the little people are really small. And we kind of live life, right, like often focus maybe where we live and what's going on around us and it kind of can feel overwhelming. Then you go on a flight and you realise, well, that's a really small part of the world and then things are way bigger and you kind of gain perspective. We kind of talk about that as a bird's eye view. Uh, if you're kind of stuck in the woods or something, you need to have perspective, you gain a bird's eye view. It's this view from above. And in some ways, we face other difficult situations in life. Maybe it's not about like, place and the place where we are, but actually just the, the more inner place where we are in life or the, the sort of direction we have in life is a bit overwhelming and confusing, and we need perspective. We need God's perspective. This is pretty lame, but I think it might be helpful we need a god's eye view of life we can look down from a bird's eye view but there's a view from heaven which is a god's eye view basically what we 're going to do is look at that today because in some ways Matthew's gospel's been tracking along and these next verses it's like the the um, it, it's like stepping back for a bit gaining perspective and it's like God's speaking and giving his perspective on what's going on with Jesus where a lot of people are confused a lot of if people are planning to kill him, then God speaks and we get a God's eye view. So I'm just going to pray quickly and then we'll look at these verses. So yeah, Father, we just thank you that you speak. Um, you speak to us about who you are and who we are. Just ask that you'd speak uh, this morning to us as we're gathered around your word and your spirit. Just ask you to encourage us, help us to see what you see today, Lord, we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's look at verse 18. This is The prophet Isaiah, Matthew's quoting Isaiah, but in Isaiah, this is God speaking. So in a sense, this is God speaking into who Jesus is in this context that that I just described. He says this, Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations." So in the context, right, people plotting to kill Jesus, people confused about Jesus, Jesus telling people to stay quiet and not spread out who he is. Isaiah is already spoken about this, and God says, actually, this is my servant. I love him. I've given him my spirit. We see that Jesus, the servant, is God's chosen one. It may not look like it to people, but he is. Um, From God's perspective, God's eye view is that Jesus, the servant, is God's chosen one. And you might have like, heard some of those verses and it might have given you a memory, if you've read Matthew before, going back to Jesus' baptism. Because this kind of literally happened at Jesus' baptism. You get a God's eye view. like It says heaven actually opened and God spoke about who Jesus is. It says this in Matthew three sixteen. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice came from heaven and said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This has already happened to Jesus at the start of his ministry. And now this in sort of the middle of the gospel. This is peeling back the curtain. This is what God says about Jesus. He's opposed by people but loved by God. Maybe he looks weak and not fitting the mold of what people might expect. But he's God's chosen servant. And he has God's spirit not what was expected, but actually what was prophesied, what God said he would be like. And we see that maybe people are wondering who Jesus is in in these chapters, and people are a bit confused about who Jesus is, but ultimately it matters who God says Jesus is. It ultimately matters what God's perspective is. And that's true for us as well. Uh, We can easily get caught up in what people think of us and be concerned, particularly if people oppose us. Um, particularly, as we're talking about, in terms of situations of persecution would be very difficult and overwhelming. But in those situations, in all situations, we actually need a God's eye view of our identity, of who we are. Ultimately, God's approval and perspective is what matters. It's so easy and, and normal to really care what people think of us, and it's not I think going to the other extreme, to say, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. Like, that's not necessarily the answer. It's, it's important to have feedback from people. But ultimately, our identity and who we are is to come from what God says about us and what God thinks about us. And he thinks amazing things about us. We are his creation. We are made in his image. We are loved by him. And if we're in Christ, we've also been saved and made united with Him, and actually what He said to Jesus at His baptism, if we're in Christ and we're united with Christ, He says to us. He says, I'm well pleased with you. You're my son, my daughter, who I love. And the really interesting thing is, like, God says that to Jesus at the start of His ministry, right? Not the end. It's not that Jesus did everything and then God says, I'm pleased with you. He says, I'm pleased with you at the start. And similar way, it's not that we have to work really hard and we have to do a really good job and then God will say, I'm pleased with you. No, it's if we're in Christ, we're his son, we're his daughter, he's pleased with us. He loves us. So we see Jesus is not really fitting the mold. This prophecy says, well, he is this chosen servant, and then goes on to explain that actually there's a lot of things he's not going to do. Uh, we read this in the next verses in verse 19, um, verse 19 and 28. It's interesting, when you read this verse, it's all about what the servant will not do. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. It's saying that he won't, and obviously Jesus engaged in debates. We've already read about some of that, and obviously Jesus taught I think the point is what it's saying is Jesus won't use his voice to dominate and he won't use that sort of crowd swell revolutionary approach of, of using, like confronting arrogantly and confidently. He's not going to be like that. And we already see that. He's not. He tells people, don't tell anybody else about me. Like, like he's, he wants to work quietly. Um, he, he, and particularly when Jesus is accused and particularly when he's falsely accused at his trial, he basically says nothing. He doesn't accuse them back. He, he doesn't argue back. He barely says anything. Only when he's really forced to, he shares who he is, without, not, not in an aggressive way at all. You see, Jesus the servant works quietly and gently. Again, people who want to get ahead or perhaps people who are starting this sort of revolution or maybe they have a certain position they know they're going to take. Jesus is a king. Often people can get there by treading on people who are weak, by pushing people who are weak out and surrounding them by people who are strong. And maybe there's people probably that thought that Jesus should be doing that. Jesus, why are you hanging around with just all these sick people and weak people and insignificant people? You should be with the strong people, getting your group together so you can overthrow Rome, right? But instead, Jesus is strong that he's not going to abuse or hurt or discourage the weak at all. He is gentle and cares for the broken and the burden. He 's not harsh with people because of their weaknesses. He actually has come to support them and encourage them. Uh, William Barclay, on this uh, read this quote, he says this: "He did not come to treat the weak with contempt but with understanding. He did not come to extinguish the weak, weak flame, but to nurse it back to a clearer and stronger light. The most precious thing about Jesus is the fact that he is not the great discourager, but the great encourager. Because I think it can be easy, perhaps with ourselves and with others even, to be harsh with weakness. Because I suppose weakness is linked to being vulnerable, which can be scary, and there can be a tendency to want to reject that, to, to remove weaknesses, or be around people who are strong. But we also need a God's eye view of our weaknesses, how God sees us in our weaknesses, understand His ways and care is what matters. Because it's easy to fall into the trap of just, we just focus on the end result. We talked about it last week. It's easy to use people for a certain end, but Jesus doesn't do that. He loves people and cares for people. And the means, the end doesn't justify the means. The means is really important. And the means is loving and caring for people and Jesus, for Jesus, particularly weak people. And it's interesting because in Scripture, God doesn't only just bear with us in our weaknesses and care for us in our weaknesses, but He actually wants to work in us and through our weaknesses. And Paul experienced this when, when God said His power is made perfect through His weaknesses. God often works through weak people, overlooked people, insignificant people. That's actually how He wants to work and bring His kingdom in the earth. And it's easy to be frustrated, perhaps, and just want to be strong and surrounded by others who are strong. But actually, we need God's perspective on our weaknesses as well. So, He's a servant, and He works quietly and gently, and He will not push over the weak for an end goal. He will care. He will love. But you kind of think, well, that doesn't seem very strong. Well, maybe that doesn't seem very effective. But the prophecy finishes by saying that it will be. It says this in Matthew 20, from the rest of 20 to 21. It says, this will be till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. So Jesus, God's chosen servant, who is gentle with weakness, who at this stage is not telling people to spread, who's keeping it quiet, who has a clear mission and plan, he will bring justice to the earth. And ultimately, this person, this man, who in this context seems a bit, people are confused about him, probably doesn't seem that powerful or that significant, he is actually the hope of the world. You see, in this prophecy that Jesus, the servant, is the hope of the world, not just the hope of the Jews, of Israel, but the hope of all nations, Gentiles included, in a sense Jesus is the ultimate revolutionary and it's the ultimate revolution. He's, he's going to bring freedom and life, but he's going to do it in a different way, a way through gentleness, working through weakness that maybe appears weak, but is actually strong and will be effective. As we've already seen, in his cross, looks weak, but he gained victory. He defeated the enemy, and he's alive. And maybe even still for us, often he works through us in weakness. Sometimes the church looks weak, but he's working, and he will have victory, and there will be justice on earth. Uh, Wilkins, um, on this, I'll just read this quote. He says this, in this fulfillment quotation, Matthew gives one of the clearest declarations of Jesus' intent as Messiah. He is the gentle, spirit-endowed, suffering servant who advances a mission of justice to the nations. We see he is not weak, he is strong. And he will bring justice to the nations. His vision is that God's presence will fill the earth that he will bring a new creation. He will deal with evil and make all things new and he will do it. Even though it looks weak, it's not. He will be effective. We see that he's already alive again and one and one day he will come and he will restore all things. So even though he's, he's, he, even though he's looking through, working through us now, he works through his church now. And again, we probably often um, maybe think, well, what's the future really going to be? What's really the future of the church going to be? What's really the future of the world going to be? Particularly in our world at the moment, right? Like there seems like there's more and more uncertainty and more and more threats and confusion and possible disruption. And it's easy to think, well, what's the hope and what's the future? So in a similar way, we need a God's eye view of the future, that his promise and justice are what matters. We actually need hope, and hope comes from recognizing that Jesus is literally the hope of the world. Like He is the saviour of the world. He is the king of the world. We don't put our hope in humanity. It's not that humans will one day figure it out with enough technology. It's like, no, it's Jesus. He's alive, and he is The hope and his promise is that he will come again and he will make all things new. And it's easy again to get overwhelmed with our situation or get overwhelmed with things in the world and perhaps despair or be discouraged. But God has made promises and God has worked in history and God knows the future and he's told us how it will end. So when we're stuck in discouragement and uncertainty, we need a God's eye view of the future. So when we're sort of stuck, like, right in a forest, or you're stuck in traffic, or you're stuck lost somewhere, it'd be really nice if you could just, like, fly up like a bird and just, like, look and get perspective and see things. And, like, you can't really do that easily unless you have, like, a pilot's license or something like that. Or maybe there'll be jetpacks soon, and then you can do that pretty easy. Like, it's probably not far away. Um, And... uh, but we do have technology, right? Like, you can get your map out, you can look at a satellite, you can look at a radar, you can get a bird's eye view of where you are pretty, pretty easily because of our technology. But when we're stuck in direction in life, or perhaps troubled or overwhelmed or just not sure what's happening, we can't just go up to heaven, right, and have a God perspective and just look down and come back, like, that'd be nice, right? But God's there and He speaks, and He has spoken, and He shares His perspective with us in His Word, and He speaks to us by His Spirit. So we can have a God's eye view on our life and our circumstances, but we have to trust Him and what He says and what He sees. So if you're feeling like that at the moment, perhaps discouraged, perhaps in situations that are overwhelming, perhaps feeling weak or uncertain about the future, I guess the invitation today is to step back, and ask, what's a God's eye view of this situation? What does God see? What has he said in his word? What is he doing? How is he working? What's his perspective? Sometimes that takes stopping and praying, and it takes faith to trust his promise and trust what he says. The interesting thing though is, like we probably would like God just to explain what he's doing, right? Like, well, this is what's happening and this is where we're going and you can just have a good look and you can see it all and that's fine. Um, But that's probably not what he's going to say or probably not the perspective that we're going to get. In fact, often he might say something like this in Isaiah 55, 8 to 9. He says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So not at all saying that we're going to be able to understand God's perspective, because often what He'll say is, "We're well, not going to understand my perspective, but you need to trust me." He He sees, He knows. He's said certain things, and then He invites us to trust Him. That He's working in ways that we literally could not understand, if we tried. They're so much higher and greater. But He says who we are. He says who He is. He says what the future will be. And he calls us to trust him with that. So I'm going to pray, and then um, yeah, then we'll sing and respond. Yeah, we just thank you, God, again, that you you speak, you see clearly, you know the beginning from the end. Uh, you're never anxious or worried or afraid. Uh, you're completely in control, uh, and you share your perspective and heart with us, and. Just ask, God, that we'd hear afresh from your spirit who we are, our identity in you, God, just how you respond to us, even in our weakness and the weakness of those around us, and help us to hear your promise of the future in a time of uncertainty, and just ask by your spirit that that your word, that your perspective, your heart, Lord, would become ours as well.